Welcome to Piecing It All Together. My name is Bo Sanders. And I'm Randy Woodley. And we are piecing it, and today we'll be all together. That's P-E-A-C-I-N-G. So we have been hanging out this morning, and we've been uh, circling around over and over again to this issue of culture wars. And so we thought uh, on the eve of Randy and Edith headed up to across the border to Canada to do some speaking and connecting up there, um, we got talking about politics, and we decided that we would hit record on, the, on our little device here and uh, have a live conversation and let you listen in. We would love your feedback. So we'll tell you at the end of this episode how you can join in the conversation at a deeper level. But um, we live in quite a time where, you know, you just get used to one story in the news. And just when you're starting to kind of reorient yourself, another bomb shovel drop. And there's just a, a fatigue and a disorientation that has settled in. Yeah. And, you know, we thought for a while the culture wars were over. And what are the culture wars? Anyway, we need to talk about a little bit of a definition, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the myth is this is about Roe v. Wade. But the truth is this is more about things that happen with um, uh, Bob Jones University, uh, Brown versus Board of Education. And it basically what it is, um, it's the uh, white majority conservative reaction to uh, people of color gaining power in the system. Hmm. You're saying that's the culture wars? Well, it's it's that politically. Yes. But it also is very much, and, and this is uh, the case especially since um, uh, George Bush Jr., um, uh, it, it is the evangelical Christians joining in mm-hmm. with those conservative political folks. So some of you may be uh, listening and thinking, well, this should be interesting. You know, the name of the show has peace in it, but if they're going to talk about partisan politics, that's going to be very divisive and... Right? Uh, full of uh, the argument culture. Yeah. And so I, we want to do this a little different. Okay. We're hoping to. Because you bring, um, you know, in your research, uh, layers uh, behind the conversation about what's really motivating this. And you, uh, we're going to read a couple things in a second that point to say that the, the real issue is not always the one that makes the news. That there are underlying issues and that are rooted in, in other issues and concerns. And so we want to track those. We want to make sure that we uh, account for them and attend to them. So you're going to bring a unique perspective that way. I come from a little bit different of a perspective. As a dual citizen of Canada, I have this growing suspicion that my evangelical upbringing, um, that if I continued to participate in the system the way I had been groomed and conditioned mm-hmm. to do so, I would actually be a part of the problem. <laughs> and so for me, there is this open uh, awareness of these are my people in, in one sense, and this problem is not going away. It's going to get worse. And so I'm trying to figure out how to be a part of the solution to bring about a better resolution than the one I'm looking at in the evening news. Yeah. And, of course, Donald Trump has reignited the culture wars, uh, you know, in a blazing fire. Yes. It's almost like when I saw what uh, was happening with his during the, the candidacy, I... It was alarming to me. It's like somebody who had actually been sitting on the sidelines watching the culture wars 
and thinking, if I ever jump into this, I know how I could hijack this for my own purposes. If there was such an, a, a cynical awareness of uh, the issues, but it was just so uh, calculated and um, to be used in order to harness like a voting block. Mm-hmm. And it worked. That's the amazing thing is it worked. Well, it, it was actually 1984 when Donald Trump uh, first announced his political aims um, after returning from a trip from Soviet Russia. Huh. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, uh, uh, you know, co- coincidence, um, conspiracy theory, whatever, <laughs> but he is on public record, uh, mm-hmm. in 1984 or 85, I can't remember, uh, of, uh, uh, basically, um, uh, uh, mentioning that he would like to be president one day. So hmm. he, he may have very well been sitting on the sidelines, mm-hmm. figuring this all out, just like you imagine. So let's start, actually, I think it might be interesting to, um, we have a friend, Lisa Sharon Harper, and uh, I think it might be interesting to read something that she wrote. I think it's going to go online today. Um, you have kind of a preview copy of this thing, and you can bring us up to speed on that. But I just want to give everybody a context of why we're talking about this. So on top of everything else that's been going on, uh, Scott Pruitt, the head of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, oh. has, ste- <laughs> has stepped down in just a, a wash of scandal, mm-hmm. but the details of which are both fascinating and grotesque and are really shocking to a lot of people. And, um, and now we have the Supreme Court nomination. That yeah, was- but before we go to that, let's talk about Scott Pruitt for a second. Okay. Okay. So the problem with our news media is that you know, we focus on these smaller issues, all the Scott Pruitt scandals, how much money he spent here and there and everything else. But we miss the big picture, which is the deregulations uh, for the environment. And so the, the greatest scandal is what he and the uh, 45 have done to the environment and what they're still continuing to do. And as you know, one of the coal lobbyists now has been set up as to take his place. My family comes from a background of coal miners. Hmm. Um, I understand what, a little bit about what coal's about, even though I never worked in the mine myself. But um, I understand the degradation it does to the environment. I understand what it uh, does mm-hmm. both to the land and the air uh, and, and to the water system. So mm-hmm. uh, especially the way that they're doing you know, mountaintop removal and other mining now in the, in the Far East there in uh, West Virginia and Kentucky. So... Um, you know, this is the classic case almost in every hmm. position. Donald Trump has the fox watching the, ch- the hen house. Yeah. So. You know, I, um, I love reading philosophy. Like, as a white guy, I just, I love ideas. I just love the abstract and the speculative. It really, it's one of the reasons I always have to come back and remind myself to be grounded and rooted in actual practice and in place, the earth. Right, that the life of the earth gives me life, and that humanity's life is interdependent with nature. Because um, I tend to buy into this school, it's a little bit of a pessimistic view um, that says that the crises that we are dealing with now, both in environmental issues, economic issues, issues of democracy, and in politics, um, that in those three areas, 
that they're called final forms and that, you know, uh, d- the democracy, the way we have it, capitalism, the way we have it, and the industrialization, the way that we have it working with the environment, that they cannot bear the weight of the flaws within the system and it's all going to come crumbling down. So that pessimistic school, you know, says uh, that the problems that we're having, the dysfunction and, and the, the unhealth are actually built into the system and will eventually bring down these, what these edifices that we currently see that they're not forever arrangements. Yeah. Well, I tend to agree but um, how much damage can they do in yeah. the meantime, I guess, yeah. is the question. Yeah. So you want to read this thing by uh, Lisa Sharon Harper? Yeah, so this is put out. Um, Lisa is the uh, president uh, of uh, freedomroad.us. And uh, a, a group of evangelical women got together and they say they want to hit pause on the culture war. Okay. So reading, July 9th, 2018. Uh, President Trump makes his intentions with the U.S. Supreme Court clear. A most surprising voice of dissent is emerging. A rising chorus of leading evangelical women is asking America to stop the Senate from rushing to confirmation and hit pause on the culture wars. Mm -hmm. What may at first blush sound counterintuitive, decades of the conservative evangelicals' strategy to dominate the Supreme Court will result in the loss for the pro-life movement and for people of color setting in the only growing segment of the evangelical church, evangelical churches of color. Hard data proves it, and evangelical women are saying enough. Abortion rates for American women have hit an all-time low, but they've increased among poor women because economic hardship is the primary driver of abortion. The way to reduce abortion is not through escalating culture wars, but by reducing poverty. Instead, the conservative court will continue to unravel hard-won rights and freedoms that add to poverty. Rulings have already quittled away voting rights and desegregation, adding to divisiveness across the country, even within church pews. Mm. And uh, so they call for uh, hitting pause, uh, calling uh, to register your protests, fasting, um, and listening to the stories of people of color uh, and to act uh, on informed discernment. And uh, it's signed by a number of people, uh, primarily um, put out by Lisa Sharon Harper of freedomroad.us. We're hoping to have Lisa Sharon Harper on a future podcast. It'd be fun to have her as a conversation partner. I've actually thought about having it as one of our um, live recording, our Zoom chats, because we could have her from wherever she is in the country. She travels speaking. Uh, she lives uh, back east. But we could have her wherever she is, uh, Skype in, and we could be in conversation with her. I'd love to have a uh, conversation. Maybe maybe that would be something we could reach out to her and have her do. But um, it's a fascinating take because <coughs> so many people I know are upset about the Supreme Court process. And whether it was what happened at the end of President Obama's time and not confirming uh, Merrick Garland or the fact that uh, you know Trump in this cynical way that he did during the election um, and now he's gotten to pick two and he might get to pick a third 
uh, nominee for the Supreme Court. I know a lot of people are really upset about this, and probably for good reason. Not but, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> right. But what I love about um, that statement that you read by her is that there's more going on than just the stuff that makes the evening news. Right. So we think this is all about Roe v. Wade. Yeah. This is really about uh, Brown versus Board of Education, which is what uh, created uh, desegregation in this country. Yeah. And uh, it's about uh, gerrymandering. Um, it's about um, voting rights. There's a whole lot of issues that will change the outcomes uh, of our future and the future of this country. One of the things I wanted to do, because I, you know, I know we, we need to live up to our title of piecing it all together. And so when we're looking for that, um, that type of relationship and interconnection, so we want to bring a different perspective to this and not just when we talk about politics, not just talk about it in ways that, you know, you can get anywhere else. For us, you know, you look at an issue like abortion. So I'm, I want to talk about a religious aspect, a racial aspect, and an economic aspect. So the religious aspect is, you know, I am now pastor in a pretty liberal denomination and church. And most of the people that I hang out with now and that are my conversation partners identify as pro-choice anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, an important nuance, that they're not, they're not pro-abortion. They're pro-choice for the woman, but ultimately anti-abortion. Everybody wants to reduce the number of abortions. So that's the religious component for me. The racial component is really elusive sometimes when you do not incorporate issues of class and and economy and and the issue of poverty then you sometimes miss that uh, abortion rates around the country are not um, uniform across the board but absolutely and so when you come to um, the culture wars with a mono lens and you're only looking at it through one thing which Mm -hmm. is is abortion right or wrong right however you want to look at that and you don't incorporate in the religious component the economic component and the racial component you're missing so much of the conversation which is why the culture wars never go anywhere exactly. it's because we're talking past each other right yeah so um and and you can't just say people of color either because mm-hmm. uh all brown people are not alike mm-hmm. right so in the native american community for example um, there's a, uh, we have the highest teenage pregnancy rate huh. among all peoples in the United States, but th- that also, um, uh, will, and I haven't read lately, but I'm sure it's one of the lower abortion rates. And basically what happens is because our view is of this larger family unit, yeah. um, it's not just about the, the nuclear family. Um, so we have this extended family. Uh, often children are raised, or at least partially raised, by grandparents or aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. and everyone helps each other out. Now, wow. I'm not saying that's an ideal situation. I'm not mm-hmm. saying there's no dysfunction, any of that sort of thing. But um, it is a different lens mm-hmm. for which to look through this issue. When I um, do my research, when I am in my academic mode, one of the things I find most fascinating is that Normally, in in the culture wars, when we say race, we mean black and white. Right. And we don't account for Asian populations, Latino populations, and Native American populations. Yeah, and and even those can be divided, of course, especially on the uh, Asian front. So you you have, you know, 
um, your your culture such as the Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and then you have Southeast Asian yeah. countries, you know, your Laos, your Thai, your Cambodia, etc. And um, those are so different. I mean, those cultures are so very different, and yet we lump them all as yeah. Asian. And, and yeah, and so when we do that, when we take shortcuts in the way we try and address an issue, we really do ourselves a disservice. And one of the things we do is in um, our speed to try and lump people together when we miss the religious you know component of a community the different economic strata and uh, the racial components we oversimplify and we actually take away the possibilities of a, a, a hopeful resolution or a preferable option by not being careful in the way that we both address this and and who brings information to the table? Right, and and yeah, who and who has a right to be at the table? Of course, yeah. is a big question. Uh, one of the questions I constantly have asked through my career. Um, you know, who's before we decide anything? Who's at the table? Yeah, and what power do they have? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm wondering uh, if um, part of this doesn't go back. You talked about being philosophical a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, to the Western worldview, which basically is a uh, kind of competitive by nature. Mm. It's binary. Yeah. So it's either on or off. It's yes or no. It's win or lose. Mm. And um, because of that particular uh, competitive uh, worldview, which is kind of a warring worldview, yeah. if you will, uh, it's, a, it's a zero-sum game. Yeah. If, if somebody has to win, someone has to lose. Um, if that's the lens where we look at everything, then then it's going to be really easy to do what you're saying. You know, that zero-sum mentality is an amazingly powerful thing. If you think there's only so much power or goodness or money to go around, if somebody else gets some, it means it's coming from you. Right. right? It's built on a scarcity of resources. Yes, it all has to uh, level out. And so if somebody goes up one, that means you go down one. And so there's no mutuality, there's no cooperation, there's no compromise. And it makes sense why the culture wars since the 80s have become so inflamed and we've ended up where we have. I mean, between the, that mentality and our 24-hour news cycle where there has to be um, you know, controversy all the time in order to attract more eyeballs. Right. And, and the more binary, the, the yeah. more it makes news, right? I mean, because the split screen is the um, default mode of 24-hour news. Is you, you split the screen and you put somebody on one side. And then you say, and representing the other view, as if there's only one other view, on the other side of the screen. It makes sense why we have arrived where we have in this country where people are so fed up and agitated and aggressive and confrontational and divisive in our politics, mm -hmm. it makes sense why we've arrived here, but it doesn't um, bode well going forward because the margins are so thin. Like even in the when we're talking about the Supreme Court nomination, you know they're saying that he's probably going to get approved by one vote. Right, and if you look at our last several elections with with Trump and Clinton, uh, and before with Obama, the margins are so thin that five percent going one way or the other yeah. is 
Right. Well, what kind of a crazy system sets itself up so that half of people will lose? <laughs> you know, so that half of the society, uh, uh, I mean, that's, that's how you get the Civil War, right? Um, it, this is uh, crazy. So a friend of mine, um, a, a folk uh, anarchist um, songwriter, singer-songwriter named Seth Martin, uh, wrote a song recently. And uh, I just want to say a couple of words, and then I responded to him. Um, that's apropos now. So he says, well, the fruit always grew just fine without the factories. Don't believe me? Check online. The web will tell you everything. Getting faster all the time. Alone and along for the ride. Now the crowd goes wild. Yeah, the gladiators scream and bleed. Ever wonder why the circus bread is always free? The operation was successful, but the patient died. So um, the operation was successful, but the, the patient died. So I... I responded to uh, him sharing that song. I said, yes, this crazy-ass system of Western progress is built on the idea of fracturing the whole in order to part out the pieces with no way to put it all back together. Mm. The law of diminishing returns. Just keep dividing until there are no holes possible anymore. Nothing whole. The operation is successful, but the patient died. Very profound. The impetus for this worldview is greed and power. The solution is generosity and a generous spirit. So mm. we love to divide that whole into parts and then keep those parts separate. Yeah. And we seem to forget that there is a whole and the whole is all of us. Yeah. The whole is all of our community. We can't, um, uh, even the, the declaration of a culture war means some of us have to be on one side and some have to be on the other. And uh, I don't think we're going to solve much these days if we continue to to uh, push that uh, motif forward. Oh, I understand why people are discouraged and fatigued and even um, resigned. You know, the the vote for Trump to drain the swamp. I you know I always knew that was a um, not a reality, right? But I understand the impulse that and the attraction oh, that sure. people who you know because the simple fact is that more people did not vote in the last presidential election than did, mm-hmm. right? The majority of the country didn't even participate. Who were eligible didn't participate. People are um, checking out of the system, so it's no surprise to me that you can get um, this type of uh, a response. When people are just fed up saying, look, it doesn't even matter who you vote for. You get um, vanilla or vanilla bean. But it's basically, right, like we know what we're going to get. It's not that big of a difference. So when somebody comes in from outside the system and threatens to, you know, wreck the machine, I sort of understand the the appeal of, um, what do they call it, a, um, a protest vote. Mm-hmm. I get the appeal of it. But it doesn't move us forward towards wholeness or health. So I get, I get the protest. I get the the being fed up and and wanting to give a big middle finger to the whole thing. Yeah. And there's nothing new under the sun. This is not anything new in our country. This has been this battles going on with the wobblies and uh, you know the the uh, start of the unions and. Uh, you know, I remember, I think the first, um, uh, 
play that I ever saw when I was a little kid was uh, Little Abner. Okay. And Jubilation D. Compone. And uh, it was all about the corporate uh, people trying to take over the little man. And so um, <laughs> my uh, coal mining ancestors were um, union organizers. Um, and th- it was costly. They had to uh, literally guard their lives. They could have been killed at any moment. And so this is still, from my perspective, uh, an issue of uh, the corporatocracy taking over uh, and basically making us all slaves to the system. This is one of the reasons I really believe in localized uh, small business models. Hmm. Um, so that um, uh, it, uh, there's just, when anyone, government, um, uh, corporate America, etc., gets too big, uh, it, it, it tends to um, sort of universalize its mores and put them, try to put them on everybody. Regardless of whether it's philosophical or greed, which is mostly greed, but um, and so we have to begin to uh, find new ways of living together, uh, new ways of of doing uh, economics, new ways of doing education, new ways of doing um, uh, uh, in, um, just environment, etc. In ways that um, don't have such far-reaching effects every time we try to do something. So um, now I sound like uh, how the Republicans used to talk, right? I mean, <laughs> or, uh, against big government. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they're not against big business. So, so I'm sort of for the, the, uh, the idea of a, a localized uh, mm. economy. I, I realize we have to have safety nets yeah. on a wider level, and yeah. I'm all for safety nets. Um, but I do believe that... Um, uh, in fact, we were at one point, we were teaching a small business model among our native people, mm. a cottage industry model that seemed to be working for us. I don't know if it would work everywhere, but huh. um, yeah. So, you know, uh, let's, there, there's so much we have in common. I mean, we, we, we say we're afraid of big government, but we don't realize what big business is doing to us, right? Mm. Let's realize that they neither maybe have our best interest. Uh, sometimes, sometimes they do. We have seen just, you know, in, in my lifetime, so many things that used to be under the government's watch for kind of a broad safety net, like education, become a for-profit business. Prisons. Prisons, right? Correctional institutions are now warehouses uh, for-profit. And while that first step is dangerous in and of itself, where it gets even more dangerous is when those who have um, interests in that business then lobby politicians to change uh, the legal frameworks in order for their business to prosper more. Exactly. So like with the prison system, you know, yes, step one is dangerous enough to make prisons for profit. There's something deeply concerning I would say immoral at just even that first level where it gets really dangerous is when those businesses, prisons come back to ask for legislation to be changed so that they can get more prisoners. Exactly. Then you think, Oh man, we it's have no longer s- a safety net. Yes. Uh, it's a, um, a, a much deeper and cynical problem with society. Yeah. So we have ransomed off. Instead of the common good being our biggest concern, the unseen hand of the market, we have turned over our moral compass 
So we've, we've made this bed. We've gotten in bed with the devil. We made a deal with the devil. And so, I mean, I'm not... And, to, and, and <clears throat> the polit- pol- political side is, until we get rid of the pork barrels and the lobbyists and all of those kinds of things, I love Michael Moore's idea was to, you know, maybe every time a politician is on TV... Uh, kind of like the race car drivers, right? They're sponsors. Those people who are supporting <laughs> have to be constantly, and this senator is supported, you know, yeah, yeah. 40,000 by this oh, corporation boy. and this, you know, lobbyist group yeah. so that so that we are informed uh, as to who they're making decisions yeah. for. When Citizens United, I remember when Citizens United came, and I remember um, <clears throat> Mitt Romney, lobbying that corporations are people. Right. And you think, what have we done that now corporations, which are not people... Completely counterintuitive to human reason. Exactly. And you just think, something has become so warped that it's actually untethered from its original idea or impulse... And at some point you are dealing with, I call it a Frankenstein, mm-hmm. where it takes on a life of its own that is not, no longer under the control of its creator. And you look at the system now and you really do feel like it has become a Frankenstein, where it is a beast that has a life of its own that is not corresponding to the, the control of the creator. Yeah. I remember uh, Steppenwolf have a, had a song a long time ago called Monster. I don't know if you remember that. No, no. Yeah, it's all about sort of the history of America and how uh, corporate America has taken over. And, and this is back in the like, 70s, right? Late yeah. 70s. Uh, yeah. There's a monster on the loose. He's got our head into a noose, and we just sit there watching. And so uh, we can no longer watch. To, to piece this together doesn't mean to stand by idly mm-hmm. and do nothing. It, to piece together oftentimes means to be active, yeah. to do something about it. In a previous podcast, you uh, we were talking about hierarchy and just the in, the in, inherent natures of uh, dangers of hierarchy. And you mentioned that you're not in, you're not into anarchy. And uh, I, as far as I know, <laughs> so for those of you who know, archy is uh, means power, authority. And so I just always like to say, I'm I don't want anarchy. I just want better archy. <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't want hierarchy. I don't want anarchy. I'm just wanting to have better archy. Yeah, sounds good. Well, listener, thank you uh, for sitting in with us. We would love uh, to hear from you how you think that we could, as a group, we could change the conversation. How do you do it in your context? Um, when you are presented with these either-or options, you know, red states and blue states, Republican and Democrat, liberal and conservative, when you're presented with those uh, lost and saved, even if you will, us and them, um, how do you introduce a new um, element to the conversation in order to change the conversation? A third way. Yeah, how do you do it? So we would love to hear suggestions um, and, and learn together. So if you want to post on the Facebook page, if you like the Facebook page, you can post there and we can have a conversation. Anyone is welcome to. If you join Patreon and support us with $1 a month, you're going to be invited to a private Facebook group where we can have these conversations kind of in the back room, off, not open to everybody so that we can wrestle with this stuff 
Um, because it, it's going to take a while. And what we don't need is kind of drive-by inflammatory uh, politics the way they're done currently. So if you want to join that conversation, that's $1 a month. If you want to partner with the show and support us at $10 a month, you're going to get uh, the ability to shape the direction of sh- future episodes. And so you, if you send in an email or an MP3, if you record something for us that we can use on, in future episodes and give us direction for topics that you want to deal with or anything that, that you think would, would give good shape to the show. And if you really want to support us at $20 a month, we're going to invite you to every other month we're going to have an online live recording through this program called Zoom. And we want to actually get your voice in the conversation and be in dialogue with you. So those at four different levels are how you can partner with us. And as we go forward, we really want to give shape to this conversation, but we need your help. Yeah, we really appreciate your voice. We we realize that um, we're all limited in our perspectives and we need to open up our uh, lens, our, our lens is our purview, and be able to see from others' perspectives. So let's do it here. Yeah. So go ahead and share this episode with you with people that you think may like it. If you want to give us an iTunes review, that would be great. That would really help us to get a broader audience, and then iTunes will give us a broader bandwidth uh, to get access to more listeners. So we would really appreciate if you would take the time to do that. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.